3: what's epstein my bar virus
1: why was that your intro why <laughs> because, was
2: that your intro Sophie,
3: as as with all of our podcasts this show is sponsored by the epstein bar virus it is yeah. not but okay. have you had mono mm-hmm. no well maybe try it maybe try mono <laughs> hell yeah it's good it might cause multiple sclerosis later in life. There's all sorts of things that modern Hard does. to
4: tell. Hard to but tell. you will know if you had it, if you ever take the Epstein bar exam. That's right. Which is a <laughs> test. Mm-hmm. You get the rest of the joke. You can nice do it for free too. on this podcast
3: if you sign up for a week of food. <laughs> f- <laughs> we love the Epstein bar virus.
2: <laughs> you just like ever? to make our poor editor bleep things.
3: I do. I do. It's I fun. Do.
2: I'm so sorry for him, Chris.
3: Well, once upon a time when we still went to the office, somebody dinged my car. Maybe. I'm not 100% sure. But I've decided mm. it was our editor.
5: And it was not is, Chris. It was
3: you not don't know Chris. that, Sophie. You don't know that he didn't do. come you in. You can't prove it. You don't know that he didn't do it. Oh wait, Unless um, you do. did it. Do you want to know unless how you I
2: know did that? I've seen his Why? dogs. His dogs are honest. He would never mm. do that. Well... It was the, it was the, you know You're who on it blast, Chris. You know huh? who it was.
3: And I don't know who it was. It does wrench us back on the topic, which is Harlan Carter and the birth of the national. Well, not the birth of, but the rebirth of the, like this is, it's, it's like a racist, you know how Gandalf is like Gandalf the gray. And then mm-hmm. he he gets reborn as Gandalf the white after yeah. fighting a Balrog. Right. The NRA gets rebirthed as a white supremacist organization after fighting the Balrog of the Black Panthers assembling legally with guns to check police power. Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. yeah. I may have lost the thread a little. bit. No, there. I got you. You,
5: yeah, you got shall it. not mm-hmm. pass, uh, pass.
4: Gun legislation. control legislation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we figured it out. We got it. We, we got it back we on.
5: Shot, yeah, it
4: got
3: there. Yeah. See, people, this is how the sausage gets made. Mm-hmm. So
4: disgustingly.
3: Now we're talking about the NRA, and particularly we have this over the Gun Control Act. This this first big clash between Harlan Carter's people and the old guard. Mm. Um, and the old guard wins, right? Cause they're still broadly speaking in control, but it become that like they kind of sack, like it, in the course of winning, it becomes clear that an awful lot of perhaps most NRA members are actually not on board with the direction they want, um, right. are really excited about this more fundamentalist attitude towards the second amendment. Um, And while Harlan Carter was busy building the bones of a fundraising and lobbying machine that would dominate conservative and really in a lot of ways American politics for the next half century, the old guard were wistfully looking back to the organization's past as a sporting association and, and figured maybe we could go back to that. Right. Um, and so they are the conservatives. Harlan Carter is the radical, right? Um, politics kind of leaves a bad taste in these people's mouths. Um, because again, they're all aristocrats, right? Um, yeah. They're all like, they're they are kind of like Joe Biden. They want to have all of their friends, right? They, they, yeah. Like on, on both sides of things. They don't want things to get too political because that gets nasty and it reduces the number of people who can give you money. Right. So yeah. in 1973, You're- the old guard had purchased land in Colorado and they wanted to turn it initially into a shooting range. It's Pretty normal thing for the NRA to do. Um, But in 1976, they decided to go with a grander plan, the National Rifle Association Outdoor Center. This was going to be a massive compound dedicated to classes on, like, woodcrafting and wilderness, you know, stuff and conservation research. There's supposed to be, like, scientific research done there and also other sporting skills. And, of course, there would be a shooting range there and people would be able to hunt on the land. But, like... Guns were not the primary purpose, right? It was like a whole outdoor recreation center for the NRA, and this was in line with they wanted to expand the organization because that's obviously it's more money and whatnot. But they didn't want to like hone in on guns entirely. Right. They wanted to be like, well, we could be like the we could be like the the American go to organization for like outdoor, you know, sporting yeah. and stuff. Um, So in order to help them kind of make this shift, right, because this is at this point, both that is different from the NRA's initial vision, as is Harlan Carter's vision, right? So they're both trying to move it in different directions, right? It's become clear that like this thing the NRA had been isn't going to continue. And the old guard has a vision and the new guard has another one. And so the old guard hires a PR firm, the Orem Group, to help them drum up funding to make this facility a reality because they need tens of millions of dollars to build this thing. It's a pretty uh, impressive vision. Um, and they hope that the, or they see Carter's built this like massive fundraising arm. He's getting all these people organized on behalf of his second amendment absolutism. And they want this PR firm to help them like take back like power from, from Harlan Carter
4: and like get sure. people on their side. Yeah. Now here's Be the Be like, yeah, you know, second amendment absolutism is fun, but what if we built a rec center? Yeah. What if we had a rec center for
3: rich people? <laughs> yeah. You can see what, this is kind of like how you've got like those, those like old political ghouls in the, the 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 Democratic Party and like the parts of the mm-hmm. Republican Party that turned into yes. the Lincoln Project who opposed Trump with like very slick political ads that did right. nothing, whereas Trump <laughs> just got people angry and that works a lot better yeah, than like, yeah, 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 anyway, yeah. this is a version of that same fight, right? And yeah. part of how you could tell the Orem Group was not going to succeed in their goals is that their founder... Like the the guy they're named after their founder is this wealthy New York philanthropist whose most prominent clients before the NRA were Planned Parenthood and the NAACP. So oh boy, this the these this guy maybe doesn't get the base of the NRA yeah, and it's yeah, going to have yeah, trouble yeah, yeah. speaking to them, right?
4: Yeah, that's going to be a problem. <laughs> it I might, see that it might as, be a problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's one thing if it's just like uh, hey, we have two different branches of conservatism or whatever, but uh, no, these guys are going to be. Politically and morally opposed with each other, it's gonna.
3: It's not gonna. It's not gonna work out well. It's not gonna work out well for them. It may have. No. It, it may be such a bad idea that literally anyone could have called it. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> but the NRA bigwigs, they bring this guy on the team, um, and his goal in uh, his organization's goal is to chart like a safe new course for the NRA, in which they kind of keep out of politics. Um, and this is the, in part because, like, they want to build this new facility. You're not going to get thirty million dollars in 1970s money. Uh, Like by by hewing to a hard political line. Right. Right. So they succeed in roping in a bunch of big donors from all across, you know, major American business interests. They get Bill Spencer, who's like the second guy at Citibank. Mm. Uh, They get Ezra Taft Benson, who's the highest apostle of the Mormon church. They get a bunch of oil and gas industry bigwigs, all of whom agree to like start putting money into this project. So in order to like celebrate that they've found enough rich old dudes to fund this thing, the NRA sets up a big party on their land in Colorado for all of these these rich guys. Um, and they basically host like a multi-millionaire summer camp. People are like camping in their private jets on the land. Like they park their private jets there and like sleep on them. And then they hunt and fish in the daytime. I love it. Super relatable. <laughs> um, very, exactly right. You see, again car this this just makes it really easy for carter to be like well these guys don't have your interests at heart because they don't right yeah, like no. <laughs> yeah um it's not defending carter to say that like these guys don't give a shit about the average person who might want to join the nra because most people who join the nra are not millionaires with private jets right exactly yeah, um, they're
4: they're missing the entire cultural aspect of it at this yes. point
3: yeah and and so it, this is not going to work out well for them Um, right. Uh, so there's, there's some backlash. Um, and Alina Buckley describes kind of the old guards vision of the association's future as quote, one in which shooting accompanied frontier abundance funded by corporations that had long bankrolled conservative causes. One in which guns were a reflection of American might cowboy like to be sure, but still with a military like formality rather than a vigilante ethos that saw federal power as a threat. So again, the NRA. This is the attitude. The NRA works with the federal government in order to ensure this sporting culture, and in order to ensure a degree of military readiness, which is basically back to their old principles. As opposed to the NRA is a, is an association that enables individual Americans to be vigilantes, right? Right. Like, yeah. which is more what Carter's pushing? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The fun, the fun type. Carter, of NRA. the guy who was a, a vigilante. You right, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, while the old guard are hobnobbing with the great and good, Harlan Carter is making a strategic alliance with a gun industry journalist, a guy named Neil Knox. Now, Knox had been educated at a Christian college in Abilene, Texas, Um, and the fact that he comes from Abilene is a red flag. Um, Oh, yeah. Just, in general, don't go to Abilene. I will Um, No, it's almost as bad as Brady. So... Anyway, uh, sorry, Abilene. I, <laughs> I wish I knew anything about Texas. <laughs> this is, but this is just Texas lore. You have yeah. To, yeah if, you're if, doing if some, you come some from local Dallas, heat as I do, here. you have to shit on every other city in Texas yeah, um, yeah, yeah. so that people don't notice how terrible Dallas is. Right, right, um, right. So I, I like to throw a lot of flack Houston's way in order yeah. to ignore that their food is better. Um, it's whatever. <laughs> So he goes to Abilene College, and he, every social find on Neil Knox will note that he marries his wife because she was the only girl on campus who kept a rifle in her dorm room. Um, well, hey, you know what? That's love, right? Like that he is. finds his he finds his person. Good for yeah, him. <laughs> he was interested in safe sex. Am I yeah. right? Fellas, oh, we're having fun. Um, I mean, it is. This is like getting into like how different some things are in the country. But like at the elementary school where I went to, it was not uncommon for like um people, particularly like teachers, to have like guns in their cars in the parking lot. And at the high school, like kids would regularly have their guns in their cars in the parking lot during like God hunting damn. season and stuff. Well it's like they're hunting rifles, right? Because they're like oh, okay, okay. it's this is in like Idabel, Oklahoma. Like it's not uncommon during the season, like you go straight from there to like whatever blind you've got. Yeah. Um so again, this is like different, different time. Um, but also Neil Knox is a very modern kind of gun guy who is going to help make the NRA into like the gun culture war organization that it yeah.
4: becomes. Yeah, yeah, he like, um, sounds like the kind of origin story of like the first guy horny for guns that's going to be normal. Like horny, he's going to
3: normalize being horny. He's going to normalize being gun horny, but also with conspiracy baked into it, right? Ooh. That's one of the keys, right? It's not just like an appreciation for guns. It's an appreciation for guns within this like conspiratorial milieu that Neil yes, Knox is a- like, he's
4: the a guy on this. Yes. It's a, it's a, yeah, he's, uh, yeah. he's read the Turner diaries and shit.
3: Yeah, I mean, he uh, he would have been the kind of guy to help write them. Um, Ooh, not fun. that he was, because that's a different set of guys. Although they are kind of connected by the Goldwater campaign, but that's another story. Um, Ooh, I wanna as the Dallas Morning News writes, Knox was, yeah, I'm just going to quote them walking through this guy's background. In the mid-1960s, Knox worked as a reporter and editor with newspapers in Vernon and Wichita Falls before getting a job as founding editor of Gun Week, a newspaper covering firearms issues of the day. From his base in Arizona, the bearded gun evangelist spent the next 40 years railing against gun control and pitting himself against NRA leaders he saw as too compromising. In the 1960s and 70s, the gun industry and the NRA were "...inclined towards pragmatism," said Jeff Knox, who's his kid from his home in Buckeye, Arizona, "...and willing to make concessions. The elder Knox believed strongly that the Second Amendment was absolute, and he especially didn't like the idea of registering guns, which to him raised the specter of a dictator confiscating all arms and subduing the citizenry," Jeff Knox said. At one point in the mid-1990s, Neil Knox even suggested the assassinations of Kennedy and King might have been staged to build support for gun control. Oh, so boy. Knox is the start of specifically the strain of the American right and American gun culture that kind of culminates in Alex Jones, right? Yeah, right. And he's not super big about pushing that, but he is like the first kind of prominent voice to start talking about like these 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 false shootings, attacks exactly, that were made specifically flags,
4: for... Right? Gun control. That's one
3: of the big things that Neil Knox introduces into American culture, at least helps to introduce. I'm not going to (laughs) claim that he was entirely on his own there. Um, But he's like, he's like the vanguard of that kind of guy uh, who winds up doing the Sandy Hook conspiracy shit later on. And, And it's, it's worth noting though, that while when Knox partners with Harlan Carter, again, this is 76 77. So he has not yet started pushing conspiracies outright, Mm-hmm. Um, but you can see kind of where he goes is where he he and Carter help to lead a lot of the gun culture. Um and yeah, uh so these guys, the old guard, see Carter and Knox and see them as like unhin kind of unhinged, but even more than that, they're they're not primarily objecting necessarily to their goals as much as the fact that they're so extreme that it's going to take away funding, right? It's going right. to reduce the NRA's ability to attract a lot of like people. To f- give them money for their right, it was the
4: Republican signs. establishment during like exactly. Trump's run. They were just like, "Listen, we agree all Mexicans are rapists, but you're not going to get the nomination by saying it." And it's like, "Want to bet?" Yeah.
3: Yeah, exactly. Like that's, that's kind of like you, they're arguing like these people are too extreme. The NRA will like die out if their kind right. takes over. And Harlan yeah. Cutter's like, oh, motherfucker, you want to see how to make the NRA make a lot of money. I will show you some things. Ugh. He's about to. Yeah. So one Friday in November of 1976, the head of the NRA purged 80 staff members loyal to Carter, right? They fire everybody with, like, very little warning. Because, again, Carter spent years getting his Border Patrol guys in there. So they Mm -hmm. try to get rid of all these people. And what becomes known later is the Weekend Massacre. And Harlan, it's the only massacre. that (laughs) Um, Harlan resigns from his position in protest. uh, And Alina Buckley continues, quote, and Gun Week, Handloader, and Rifle, all publications Knox had once edited, writers began reporting rumors about a shakeup at headquarters. The Oram Group's report on the outdoor center had been leaked, and gun group leaders around the country bristled at its language. And this is from the, the Oram Group's report. In the public mind, the NRA's current image is based almost totally on its supposed opposition to any form of gun control. This public image constitutes a weakness for fundraising. A new piece of, again, very bad at being at their job, by the way. Um, A new piece of information had gotten out, too, via a brochure sent in the mail to some members. The executive committee was considering moving the headquarters to Colorado Springs, not far from Raton, where the NRA could focus more squarely on its sports shooting ties. Regional gun groups began receiving concerned notes from their members. The Shooters Committee of Political Education, SCOPE, based in New York, wrote a letter to Rich protesting the NRA's recent board appointees and to let him know that they would advise their membership to write in Neil Knox, among several others, as board candidate at the annual meeting in Cincinnati. In the American Rifleman, an unsigned editorial appeared. There have been charges that the National Rifle Association is being subverted, it read, in abandoning its fight against gun control. So, (sighs) this, uh, and you see here, they've built, in their partnership, Knox and Carter have built a very effective both fundraising and propaganda wing that Mm -hmm. is they're they're building a moral panic over this right um in a very modern way in a way that is modern because this is like the the fucking this is part of like the blueprint of like everything the right will do in the future so for the next couple of weeks knox and carter call every other nra lifetime member they can in brief like you when you have an organization like the nra every year you have to have a meeting and you have to do like voting at that meeting and stuff. And mm. like, there's people who are the actual like board and stuff, but also the lifetime members get to vote. And so the board is in control unless you can get like enough of those members to vote on, on measures that would like replace the leadership. Right. Uh, so, and they didn't, they had never worked. No one had ever really tried to do this before. Right. Like the fact that the members get to vote had kind of been like, like stock options voting where it's like, right. Yeah, I mean, the the random citizens who control twenty percent of the company's stock get a vote, but like our CEO controls forty five percent, and his best pr- friend controls twenty, so it doesn't matter what they say, right? Right. Th- yeah. That was the f- the thinking, but obviously the NRA isn't like a a publicly traded company. You just each each of these people has a vote, and if you can whip them all into shape, you could actually wrest control of the organization away from the old guard, which <sighs> is what Knox and Carter start planning to do. Now, there's a lot of politicking that goes on here. You can read about it in in detail in Alina Buckley's article. One thing I think that's worth noting is that the whole event has something of an early Trumpy vibe. The folks Carter lines up, to back their plan to take over the NRA, saw the old guard as out of touch aristocrats, which they were. They framed themselves as like Paul Revere types, right? They're mm-hmm. founding fathers, right? They're they're fighting a revolution against an unjust like aristocracy.
4: Yeah. One yeah. person who they're was all, present, w- they're yeah. all doing the cosplay now. It's all right. begins with the don't tread on me flags and the three pointed you know yes. fucking hats and yes, oh, hey, hey. um. And
3: one person who was present later recalled some members were angry enough to bring rope, tar, and feathers to
4: Cincinnati. <sighs> um yeah, what is, uh what is their obsession with it's like oh the tea party, a torn yeah. feathering. It's just like they just have an obsession with this like patriotic forms of like you know, like old style larping. It's just just the same fucking oh
3: well, god. I mean, this gets into a broader issue that actually is is present in different forms everywhere, which is that like um everyone has their types of violence that are like good and traditional right. and okay and their types yeah. of violence that are so black people uh, breaking a bunch of windows during a riot um, or like right. you know, um, flipping a cop car and lighting it on fire. That is not okay. That's horrifying. Right. That's yes. that's uh, evil, that's, violent
4: you know, you know, end of civilization. Tarring and feathering a guy trying to
3: like raise taxes like literally melting a man's skin off in order yes. to stop him from like getting the taxes that will pay for a road. That's right. traditional, right? Yeah. That's, the, that's, it's, yeah.
4: it's allowed, you know, it's, uh, I, I mean, it, burning their skin off and then the feathers is just so they look like a chicken. Just the most horrifying joke that you can possibly think of. Yeah, Yeah. uh, there was like that John Adams uh, HBO series with Paul Giamatti. Oh, yeah, yeah. They had like a tarring and feathering in it. And it was like the first time I was like, oh, yeah, that's incredibly violent. It's really, really
3: violent, actually, to tar and feather a person. I thought it was just Um, like,
4: hey, we're going to make you look like a funny chicken, like a pie in the face. I put it on the same level as a pie in the face, but it's um, no, it's not. It's pretty bad. No, and it's like um I mean everyone there's a degree to which this is very common across
3: the political spectrum because on one you get like whenever people suggest like well, the cops should uh confiscate this or the cops should like do that, it's like, well okay w- what happens when police confiscate things, like yeah. what does that look like violence wise you know yes, yeah, um, and it's it's because like I don't know everyone's got it's it's a it's a it's. I mean, it's a common political tactic, right? To frame mm-hmm. the violence you want to do or you want to have the government do as not violence because it's being done by the government. It's like right. you know when people do a panic about like drug dealers sneaking fentanyl into things. And right. Their solution to that is have the DEA raid more people. It's like, well, the DEA yeah. kill people too. You yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Completely. Um, uh, it, I. I don't know. This is just what people do. Um. Anyway. Uh. So, Knox. Uh takes point on the actual day of the convention. He's the one who's actually whipping votes at the NRA convention to propose a series of bylaw changes using the support base Carter had built. He gets them to vote in a defense of the second amendment to the NRA's mission for the first time. Right. Um, so he's like, this is the first time they actually add because the NRA, like they have a mission statement or whatever is an organization. The first thing they do is they add like second amendment, you know, like we are a, a advocating for like the, you know, this interpretation of the second amendment to right. that. The next thing they do is they block the sale of the NRA headquarters in DC uh, and they block the development of the outdoor center. So They put it into this Damn. plan. Um, and then uh, Carter or uh, 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 Knox brings up a guy named Bob Kukla, who's one of Carter's people who's still in the NRA. When Carter resigns in protest, Kukla takes over the lobbying arm mm. and he's apparently i guess the the old guard had thought he was trustworthy but he secretly records one of their managing committee meetings oh, and they fuck. play this in front of the crowd and in the tape you can hear the current head of the nra and the other members of the old guard criticizing kukla for quote going to war every time someone mentions gun control
4: um so he, he pulled up project veritas on he the does hands. he veritas
3: again these guys yeah. are really building the playbook that's going to yeah. be used everywhere well outside of guns Oh, damn. So following this, Knox and his voters strip the board and managing committee of power. Um, and basically, again, this is there. You can go into a lot more detail about how they do this all legislatively, but by the end of things, the old guard are no longer in charge of the NRA. And Harlan Carter is the new executive vice president. Damn. Um, at three thirty, cool. Yeah. Yeah. They do it. They do it fucking street style. Um, damn. And at three 30 AM, Carter takes to the stage to give his first speech to his newly conquered NRA. You're America's greatest people, my friends. Don't ever forget that you are. You have afforded the NRA this wonderful, historically important reaction of yours to the way the association has been going, to the way you want it to be, to the way it ought to be. And if I have anything to do with it, you are going to win, because you are the NRA.
4: Fuck. So. He, he did it. He did he it. Took, Very he, Trumpy he took, speech. Yeah. He, yeah, he did his, his Trump speech, and he took over the NRA, and... I imagine now uh, people going to start falling in line. Is that uh, y- yeah, well, the NRA is going to make a lot of people fall in line, and
3: and we're yeah. going to talk about what they do. But first, you know who loves to carry out coups? Who <laughs> <laughs> our our sponsors who backed a series of coups in Indonesia in order to gain access to the island that you can go to hunt kids on. <laughs>
4: yeah that's what they're known for
3: and hey if you're not if you're not into guns understands you can use bows you Mm -hmm. can use an
4: atlatl you know uh ninja stars ninja stars for sure look Mm -hmm. there's they can't stop you yeah Yeah. Uh, a bow staff literally any weapon the ninja turtles use
3: yeah the government of indonesia has no control over this island so it's Mm -hmm. all
0: on happy pride from tomboy x
3: Oh, we're back. So, immediately after carrying out his coup, Harlan Carter sets to work remaking the NRA in his own image. One of his first hires is a guy you may have heard of, Matt. Wayne LaPierre. Uh, Ah, yes. Ah, yes. Good old Wayne. There we go. W. Uh, Big Wayne.
4: Yeah, Big Mm -hmm. LaPierre. Pepe Le Pew 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 Pew. Yeah, I don't, exactly. He's not French, but, you know... I La mean, Pierre. probably somewhere along the line, Somewhere right? along the lines. The yeah. point is, Pepe Le Pew 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 is a yep. very good, no, good. one. That was a good go joke. Out. You should yep. be proud. So, by
3: 1986, LaPierre is running the NRA's entire lobbying arm, right? So, he kind of mm-hmm. takes the job that Carter had had, basically. Um, mm-hmm. But by the, by the 80s, he has turned it into... Because, again, it was, I mean, and Carter started this process, but it becomes the most, the best funded and most effective lobbying organization in D.C., right? In the entire country. Um, again, Insane. Carter draws kind of the blueprints. LaPierre
4: carries them out, though. Um, we'll There's talk no about other sport in someday. that, yeah. you know, exists that, you know, has a lobbying arm that changed into just like a, you know what I mean? It was like this was a sportsman lobby that yeah. wasn't even a lobby. And now it is the most powerful lobbying group. And again, there's like critiques about, well, they were
3: primarily interested in like preserving rich people's right to ownership, but they were, uh, broadly speaking, saw that like, okay, when a law affecting guns is proposed, we'll sit down and we'll let them know this is how we think this will affect our members. And these are some changes we'd like. Again, it's like, broadly speaking, like like what you would kind of want to see in a democracy that's supposed to function the way ours does. Yeah, As opposed to like, we are going to become so key to right wing fundraising that if somebody proposes any kind of law mm-hmm. meant at curbing gun crime, we will destroy them forever.
4: Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, which and is by, what by they any
3: build means it necessary. Into. Yeah. By any means necessary. And to an to an extent that like it doesn't matter how like reasonable mm-hmm. the the restriction might be, like even right. outside of stuff like an assault weapons ban, like if you're going to propose like universal background checks, which most gun owners support, like right. we're we're gonna come for your ass, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, unless you're the Black Panthers, but whatever. <laughs> like, <yeah. laughs> so another 1977 hire brought onto the NRA at the same time as Wayne LaPierre is a guy named Robert Dowlett. Uh, now, Dowlet becomes the NRA's general counsel, and it's his job to begin wrangling together legal scholars to push hard the idea of an individualist interpretation of the Second Amendment. So between 1960, 1970, there's only three law review articles endorsing an individualist interpretation, right? mm mm-hmm. There are some, like, state-level rulings you could argue kind of endorse one earlier, but there's never been, like, a national, like, a Supreme Court ruling on the matter one way or the other. And it hadn't really—people had not even talked about it in that way until the 60s. So three law review articles written between 1960 and 1970 endorsing that interpretation. Between 1970 and 1989, the period in which Dowlett is the NRA's general counsel, there are 27 law review articles, three Mm. of which are authored by Dowlett himself.
4: Yeah. And
3: his work would start to bear fruit. Again, there's some like lower level rulings, but it makes the individualist interpretation of the Second Amendment makes its way to the Supreme Court for the first time in 2001. Some people will say, like point to D.C. as Heller. That's not the first time. It happens in 2001. Mm -hmm. And the case in question has its origins in a 1997 criminal case in which a Texas woman divorced her husband and filed for a protective order against him because he had threatened to murder the man she cheated on him with. (laughs) The next year, while he's got this protective order, which he's not supposed to have guns because he has the Mm -hmm. protective order against him, right? Right. Um, During a meeting with his wife and daughter over some financial issue, he pulls a gun during an argument and points it at them. So he gets, again, (laughs) if you're a rational gun owner, you would think like, well, this is exactly the kind of person who shouldn't have access to a fucking gun. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. He gets indicted for possession of a firearm while subject to a court order, and he files for dismissal, arguing that this had unfairly infringed on his Second Amendment right. And the ruling, what it actually rules is kind of complicated. The ruling is not entirely in favor of this guy, Emerson. It's Emerson versus the United States. Mm -hmm. But in the ruling, the Supreme Court rules that the describes the Second Amendment as an individual right. Right. So Uh this is the first time that happens at a federal level. Um, And then this ruling in 2000 is reinforced by 2008's DC versus Heller, which is like the big ruling that is really more explicitly on can you ban like categories of weapons and whatever. It's based on like a DC, I think, handgun ban. Um, And then in 2010, the Second Amendment is finally incorporated um, in McDonald v. Chicago. But this is all you know, orchestrated by Robert Dowlett, right? right? Starting in the 70s. And one thing you have to say about the man is he earned his salary, right? It, that, that's a significant change in U.S. jurisprudence that he it, kind of painstakingly uh, uh, is the architect of, of pushing. Um, it's probably worth, worth noting here that he was a murderer. Um, so right. <laughs> I'm going to quote from the huh. Boston Review here robert j dowlett was convicted of murdering anna marie yokum the mother of his then girlfriend in 1963 dowlett also robbed and shot the owner of a pawn shop like carter (laughs) dowlett was 17 years old when he pulled the trigger he confessed to the shootings and served six years in prison before his conviction was overturned on a technicality the crimes were not made public until 2014 god damn no wonder it's like this is it's also he and the same he origin and, um, story over and he over and, he and Carter and Kyle Rittenhouse, all 17, when they fucking yeah. kill people in like these I guess I would maybe you wouldn't call what Dowlet does vigilante violence. He's really just murdering people. No, that just <laughs> yeah, sounds like yeah. straight up murder. Yeah, he just murders a woman and then shoots a pawn shop owner in a robbery. So I guess you would say he's not a vigilante. He's just no. straight up an armed criminal. That <laughs> yeah. is
4: fucking insane. And mm-hmm. this is the guy who's made it easier for fucking everyone in the world or in the united states uh, he's the, he's he's the nra's general counsel <laughs> <laughs> so at one point i assume he went to law school
3: yeah 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 because again he gets off like like a uh, like carter does right he gets off and then he goes to college and
4: then i he, mean he you know his good, career. good for them i guess um, nice to know we live in the land of opportunity like that i believe yeah. firmly that people should be able to get a second chance after making a mistake especially when they're You know, uh, not a legal adult,
3: sir, I believe in certain second chances for certain kinds of mistakes. I think perhaps if you murder your girlfriend's mom and then shoot a pawn shop owner during a robbery, Mm -hmm. an avenue that we ought to close to you is representing the National Rifle Association. I feel like that's right. (laughs)
5: Like
4: like maybe that's not okay. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, listen, that guy explicitly does gun crimes. Yeah. For fun, this perhaps should not be his job. I want to know what happened with the with the Uh, the relationship. um, Did 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 it suffer after the murder of the mother? It must have been hard. Well, she
3: was his girlfriend, so I don't think they wind up staying together. Oh, Um, damn. Yeah, it's like you know, with Harlan Carter. I think a seventeen-year-old who, in a crime of uh, racism, commits a murder, there should be some way for like that person. To be rehabilitated, but sure. perhaps they should never be allowed to be a border patrol officer. Yeah,
4: yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, you know, there's like little things like not giving them, I don't know, uh, authority over other people or requiring yeah. them to use lethal force as a yeah. part of the
3: job. And maybe the guy who murders his girlfriend's mom shouldn't help to be an architect of
4: federal gun policy. Perhaps I mean it's just it's perhaps sounds not that guy it sounds rational yeah but you know what i don't know if that's uh, yeah i think i think it'll work
3: out fine I'm, I'm not even arguing against an individualist interpretation of the second amendment because again <laughs> i don't really believe that the constitution is something that we should g- treat as a religious document but not yes. this guy not this guy making that case if you're gonna make that case maybe ross dowlett shouldn't be the man doing it seems um, seems like not no um, so that's cool. Um and the Boston <laughs> Review article I found does a good job of pointing out that the NRA's embrace of this specific legal interpretation does not occur in a vacuum. While mm. Dowlet's are, are lawyers are making their case, right? So while they're and again, this is a very it's a pain it's forty years. It's a painstaking process of build, mm. well, not it's I guess twenty ish, uh twenty three, something like that. A
0: long um time.
3: But while they're making their case, the NRA is carrying out mass mailing campaigns, some of the most extensive in political history, and they're publishing magazines that reach millions of people. Um, they're paying for ads in all of these different gun press magazines. They're pay- having paid spokesmen show up and talk radio stations, right? And th- part of like what they're doing, they're obviously they're arguing for this interpretation of the Second Amendment, but they're also pushing a cultural change, what some scholars have termed the, termed the tactical turn in U.S. gun culture. Again, mm-hmm. even to the extent that, like, I mean, it, it, one thing that liberals get wrong is, like, it is not new for civilians to own, on a widespread scale, military-grade weapons. Among mm-hmm. other things, one of the most popular guns in civilian hands that the NRA, before its political turn, sold to people was the M1 Garand, which was the U.S. service rifle of World War II, right? Right. Um, but what is really new is is that it's... Is, is this kind of paramilitary turn for gun owners because people mm. were not buying M1 Garands primarily to like play act as soldiers. They were buying them because the Garand is a perfectly good hunting rifle, right? Mm-hmm. It's a out 6 which is a, a very effective hunting round. Mm. Um, and those were cheap, right? So it was a good weapon to buy. So people are not dressing up as soldiers with right. their M1 Garands primarily, right? That kind of stuff, the tactical turn in US gun culture occurs because... It, it, it occurs alongside the militarization of the police and these kind of Hollywood valorization of the militarization of police. Yeah. Um. So there's a lot that's going on here. Right. And including like broadly speaking, the kind of like you could, you, you also should tie in what Holly Hollywood's partnership with the defense department. Right. And the increasing right. degree to which like military tactical culture becomes like popularized, but the NRA recognizes like this is, there's a lot of promise in this number one you can get more people involved you can you can sell more shit to people which means you can have more companies funding the nra who are not selling not just guns but all this tactical gear um i'm going to read a quote again from that boston review article and it's quite long but it really ties all of this together quote though the story of this tactical development in u.s gun culture is complex i focus in this essay on a few particularly crucial components the first is that border enforcement has been increasingly militarized since the 1970s and diffused deeper into the interior of the country. This has blurred the boundary between domestic and foreign conflict, brought the use of exceptional police powers into nearly every U.S. town, and turned militarized border security into a ubiquitous mechanization of radicalization. This has also corresponded with the militarization of local police forces, which was certainly worsened by the War on Terror, but which historian Elizabeth Hinton has identified as having deeper roots in the Johnson administration's war on crime, which, of course, the NRA backs. Mm -hmm. Like the nationalization of border security, it turned the nation's city streets into sites of militarized racial enforcement. Second, individuals once arming themselves for self-defense, often out of racial fears or a perceived threat to their masculinity, are now frequently claiming to do so in defense of the Constitution and freedom itself. The NRA has played an outsized role in this vigilante reframing by promulgating the myth that gun ownership has always been about an individual, constitutional right, and oriented towards a nativist version of self-defense. This vigilantism operates in conjunction with extra-legal violence of law enforcement officers and is fueled by an individualist notion of sovereignty more dangerous than any military-grade weaponry. It rejects the freedom of others as equal to one's own and views any attempt to support such equality as tyranny. More importantly, this sovereignty is assumed to grant the individual the power to take life in defense not of law, but of particular social and racial orders. There are now 25 federal agencies with special tactical units. In May of June of 2020 alone, 16 deployed their tactical teams to Black Lives Matter protests, including the Border Patrol, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, the Bureau of Prisons, the U.S. Marshals, the U.S. Coast Guard, and every one of the FBI's 56 field offices. And at the local law enforcement level, special weapons and tactics SWAT units are now a staple of daily policing. Their very ordinariness is a testament to how dramatically local policing has changed since 1969, when a SWAT unit was first used to raid the Black Panther headquarters in Los Angeles, pioneering what was at the time an almost unprecedented domestic use of military force. In Carter's victory speech, he declared, Beginning in this place and this hour, this period in NRA history is finished. The post nineteen seventy seven NRA was decidedly partisan. Took an absolute position against gun regulation and redoubled its efforts to cultivate a social identity and authoritarian political ideology among its members.
4: God damn! Yeah. God Pretty bleak damn! when you lay it all out like that. Yeah, yeah, all of that in a row and concisely done. Yeah. Fucked up. Yeah. And it's Jesus. again. I. 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 Is there?
3: some in our listenership will agree and some will disagree. I'm a believer fundamentally that um, I don't like the idea of the state having a monopoly on violence. And I certainly don't like the idea of the police being able to own things that I cannot own. Sure. Um, But, and, and there's, there's an argument to be made if you're again, care about being an originalist, that that is close to the original interpretation of the second amendment. Right. Right. Um, What part of what, by, and they're claiming to be originalists. They're claiming to be that the, that, that the initial, original interpretation was individualist. But what they're doing that for is not any idea of community self-defense or a fear that the federal government will accumulate too much power, although it's often framed that way. Mm-hmm. Fundamentally, it is about allowing regular white citizens to emulate the military and the police and to act as vigilantes in their stead, right? That is where the NRA turns. And that is, that is the tactical turn, right? It's not that there's nothing evil about owning body armor, which people can do for defense, perfectly reasonable defensive purposes. There's nothing like, um, but, but what, what they're, what they're doing is pushing this idea of like, not just the mili- not just that like society ought to be militarized, which you get in every kind of argument that like what we need to do is harden the schools, we need to add more cops. Um, but it's this idea that the individual white person should militarize themselves in mm-hmm. order to in order to protect this kind of racial hierarchy, right? right? Yeah, um, uphold which,
4: white supremacy.
3: And this is and this is the thing. This is what what I wish folks who are supportive of of more gun control would more often do is tie in all of this to what has happened to the police because they yeah. cannot be extricated. Right. Yeah. And that that's, I think Ivaldi made that perfectly clear that like, these are two sides of the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the NRA is a huge part of how we get there, both how we get these cops that look indistinguishable from like Marines in downtown Fallujah, not that I think the Marines necessarily should have been in downtown Fallujah but, mm-hmm. um, but you, you, you have these guys, it's this, there's this thing called the weapons effect, right? And it, which is a, a psychological phenomenon that's noted that like the presence of weapons in an area, um, visible weapons, can increase the willingness of people to use violence, right? Mm-hmm. there's like something about that that heightens it. And that's happening here. And part of why that happens is just the fact that America has so many goddamn guns, right? Right. Right. Um, but another part of that is the fact that everywhere you go, you see fucking cops in a way that like, you don't see cops dressed as armed as heavily as our cops in fucking war zones. A lot of the time. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. it, it's, um, it's anyway, whatever.
4: <laughs> no, <laughs> that's, no, that's no, what no.
3: Arlen Carter builds, you know?
4: Yeah. No, yeah. I, 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 I hear exactly what you're saying. And I, 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 I agree to an extent with, with what you, mean i feel like in general my problem with liberals is that um they tend to kind of like put guns in the same um category like they moralize guns the way they moralize like the right will moralize drugs yes Um, and kind of this idea that like you know uh if we were to just make all the guns illegal then you know this would solve the problem and whatnot and that's not to say that it they're isn't it wouldn't be helped if you had some serious regulation but um this like moralization of it like misses the entire point of why exactly the uh why the people who want guns and have those guns have them you know it's like yeah and and, the people you're speaking to are not it's people speaking to the choir liberals often just speak to themselves and go like uh isn't it crazy that you know all these people have so many guns and it's like yeah well while you're talking amongst yourselves, all these guys have created an entire (laughs) family filled with guns.
3: And it's like looking at these right wing, like militias that people are rightly like concerned to see militias marching around us streets, like threatening people. And, but also failing to see the thing that is like, well, every one of those guys has friends who are cops and like a significant percentage of them are cops, which is why a whole bunch of cops were present at January 6th. Mm -hmm. And that's a huge chunk of it. And like, you can't, you can't divorce your desire to reduce the number of guns in American culture from the need to reduce the militarization of the police. Cause they are right. both in- inextricably tied to the problem, yeah. um, which is the constant gun violence in this country has, has, has two points that mm-hmm. need to be really like hit on. It's not, it's not just civilian gun ownership. It's also the way in which the state uses and legitimates armed force going back to even the earliest days where it's like, yeah, in Texas, your right to carry guns was heavily restricted, but if you were a white vigilante who carried guns to do racist violence, you would often get off, right? Yeah. Even though you'd broken the law, right? right. Like Harlan yeah. Carter, you know? Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, under Harlan Carter, the NRA's membership triples from 1 million to more than 3 million. Um. It would reach 5 million members under Wayne LaPierre. Obviously, the NRA, we're not going to get into this a lot, but it's like well past its prime at this point for mm-hmm. a variety of reasons of primarily rampant corruption. Um, there's a pretty good podcast about like what the fuck happened there, but
4: yeah, it's called um, pod yourself a gun, a Sopranos
3: podcast. I'm I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, So the NRA tops out at about 5 million members. um, But as of 2017, about 14 million Americans claimed some sort of affinity for the organization. And I forget who did the poll, but whatever. Um, And one of the things that's interesting here is that like, That's like a lot of people to get around anything, but that's also not a lot of people as a voting block compared to the entirety Mm. of the United States. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so looking at that, you have to kind of marvel at the success of the NRA in making their ideas a cornerstone of right-wing politics. A hundred percent. I was just thinking to myself, that
4: seems like a low number.
3: It's right. Because again, if you look at actually polling of Republicans on gun control issues, they are a lot less hardliners on guns then you would guess by how the party acts. And it's because mm-hmm. the party's ability to fund elections for decades was heavily based on who could get the NRA's approval, right? Yeah, got to um, get that A-plus rating. Exactly. Uh, in 2016, they spent more than $30 million on Donald Trump's campaign. Um, and this, again, people often miss this. Like, my parents are were hardcore right-wingers, right? Mm-hmm. So it was my whole family. I had, like, two relatives who owned guns, like my grandpa and one of my uncles, right? Yeah. Um, and I did go shooting as a kid, but my parents didn't have any. My aunt and uncle didn't have any. There were not guns in the house of, of my yeah. family in Texas, you know? um, Because like, it's actually not as integral to conservatism as a, as a at least, I mean, this has again changed because the culture wars have accelerated. So like, yeah. this is that I, there's less conservatives like the ones I grew up with when there right. were today, but the NRA it wasn't that everyone on the right was in lockstep. It's that the elected leaders were scared to cross them because that's where the fucking money came from. Right. Of course. Um, That's why they were able to wield power so effectively. Um, One of the most peculiar, but also influential aspects of Harlan's time in power was his repeated and intense defense of cheap, shitty handguns. And this gets us to the Saturday night special.
4: Here we go. So
3: Saturday night special in brief, like there's a type of handgun, uh, that was very cheap in the 70s uh, up through in the 80s and stuff called a Saturday. It was nicknamed the Saturday Night Special. It's like a five or a six shot, usually 38 caliber handgun. Yeah. Um, these are still guns like this are still used in violent crime way more often than like mm-hmm. the guns that are politicized, like cheap handguns in general are the primary guns that are used in violent gun crime. Yeah. Um, although what, what what is a cheap, shitty handgun is different now because actually six shot revolvers are kind of pricey these days as opposed to like, um, a high point or something. Um, but yeah, so this is a cheap, shitty handgun. Um, and these are particularly low quality handguns. They were not like well-made as a general rule. Right. Um, they didn't always work. They did not always work. We are yeah. That's that we're building to that. (laughs) Okay. Um,
4: jumping the gun. So you have this
3: massive crime rate raise Mm -hmm. that starts in the seventies and really like peaks in the early nineties. And again, Mm -hmm. A lot of Joe Biden's career is based off of this, like, violent crime panic that starts yeah. in this period. And one of the first, like, legislative, like, tsunamis that forms around the crime surge is around this fear of the Saturday Night Special. And one of the reasons why people are so scared of the Saturday Night Special is that it is a gun that black people can afford, right? Right. Right. It is a cheap handgun. And so it is affordable for those folks. Mm -hmm. Um, Harlan Carter opposed new legislation to ban the Saturday night special, Um, although he didn't do it on the grounds that poor people deserved firearms. But fascinatingly, on the grounds that they were shitty and broke easily. Um, and this is one of the most <laughs> incredible arguments I've ever heard. From the from NRA on therecord.org, quote, "Speaking in opposition to le- opposition to legislation that aimed to ban Saturday night specials and other inexpensively produced handguns, Carter stated in a 1972 speech before the NRA's executive committee, I can produce actual cases that the cheap handgun that snaps in a police officer's face instead of firing has saved many, many lives." And the question arises, what are we trying to do? Upgrade the quality of handguns in the hands of our criminals? god that's an amazing logical argument yeah
4: i mean it's like he has a point a really fucked up evil point and it's also he's getting straight to yeah. i mean the crux of it here which is like he he's lucky to be in a situation in which he can claim like oh actually i don't want to ban this because yeah. this makes me feel safer to know that they have <laughs> yeah. you know the uh the poor their their quality of handguns is is uh yes. it's way worse yeah
3: there's a lot <laughs> there's a lot that's messy on this whole this whole mm-hmm. thing but it is very funny and it's going to wind up getting a lot of people killed not yeah. in necessary not not just from violence a lot of people are going to die um, because of Carter's defense of terrible handguns and where it leads but before we get into that mm-hmm. you know who else loves shitty handguns that break in their owner's hands and they
4: i'm sorry sophie
3: absolutely loves it (laughs) motto is we want you to be armed and we want you to never know if that gun's gonna fire or not
4: yeah completely
3: inexplicable we 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 want a weapon that you cannot trust under any circumstances that's the guarantee absolutely remove drop safeties from handguns let them free you know
4: i enjoy this because i am watching sophie just Mm -hmm. shaking her (laughs) head and every time you do this bit she's like, she, hates Please stop. she hates it she hates it
3: makes you so angry do you know
2: why oh. i hate it
3: why is that sophie
2: cuz there's like 50 reddit threads of people being like wait what is this i've never read about this who has before. The, who has
3: a child hunting island yeah. is he and i yes. just it just feels
2: like betrayal to our listeners i love with most of my heart
3: i like fucking with him yeah, I yeah, yeah, I, I, I feel the same way towards them that I do with my cat. When I like, I, love when I like pick it up and I like it. toss it in the air and it hates it, but it can't. Yeah. It can't. I, it has to let me like squeeze it and and wrap it in a blanket. It's yeah, it it's called away. rent. It's called mm-hmm. paying rent. Yeah, that's shitty. right, motherfucker.
4: Yeah, you gotta yeah. be adorable for me. Sometimes yeah. your fear makes me smile. Mm-hmm. I feel yeah. the same way about our piggies. You know, everyone. Mm-hmm. It's like you feed the slop to the piggies and you let them oink, mm-hmm. but. It's y- you're the farmer. Remember That's that. Right. You're the farmer. Well, I'm the yeah. farmer. You are. Yes. Exactly. Yes.
3: Robert, remember. Right. Don't
1: do that to the goats. I don't think it'll work out. Work out well. <laughs> for oh,
3: you. it's really fun to fuck with the goats. If you pick them up, like they don't know what to do with their little legs, and they just like kick in the air, and then you can hug them.
4: Oh. Yeah.
3: I love it. They go.
4: <laughs>
3: except for my boy goat. He he's the ram. He loves it. He fucking he'll as soon as he sees you, he'll run up because he wants to get cuddled.
4: Damn, um, dudes his sister
3: rock. hates it, but yeah,
5: whatever. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> of course here's it Of
0: course she does. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating Pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable, size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies, so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com.
1: Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule. You'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. L-A-S-I-K.
3: We're back. So before we get on to the consequences of Harlan Carter's embrace of terrible unsafe firearms, mm-hmm. let's talk about the his defense of the virtues of arming small children with derringers. Now, God, Matt, Jesus. if you're not a gun guy, the derringer <laughs> is a tiny ultra concealable one or two shot pistol that were originally made for riverboat gamblers as documented in the documentary
4: Maverick. Mm, okay, and sure right, I know exactly what's that, going. Right?
3: Yeah, they're like little, little bitty, like, yeah. Yeah, Um, little hot
4: girl guns is the way I think of them. (laughs)
3: Here's something he said to Congress. There was a little boy, and it was real cold, and he had his hands in his overcoat. He had one of these little old derringers and four bushy guys ambled up in an arrogant manner. He stopped them, and three of them were very nice and decent. And one of them said, what would you do if I told you I had a pistol and I was going to kill you? And he says, I would kill you, you son of a bunch. These little guns have a very noble and important purpose and we should make our position clear.
4: God, that is the first recorded incident of like someone being like, my five-year-old just said, Daddy, why does Trump do the bad thing? And I couldn't explain. It's like a totally fake story that did not exist.
3: There's absolutely
4: no way this happened.
3: But no, also none of happen. it makes sense. Like, what does it mean by they're bushy?
5: What does yeah, that mean? Yeah. It has to be we're
3: racist, right? He has to be being racist here.
4: Oh, yeah, for sure. But I, I don't know how. Which race? I'm yeah. going like, were they Hasidic Jews? Yeah, what does this mean? What does bushy mean? <laughs> I don't know. What, but it could be Italians. <laughs> hmm
3: it would be funny if like the real story is that, that the, the Jeb and George Bush who were younger oh. at this point, like it was, it was the, all of the Bush brothers, like yeah. trying to mug children.
4: Yeah. You know, Bushy, like mm-hmm. uh, the uh, former uh, head of the CIA. Yeah.
3: I think he was <laughs> current. Probably would have been current when this was, I guess at like that point, yeah. 70s. yeah. So obviously that's probably a lie, Um, but it's very, again, Harlan Carter is, he is the kind of guy who is not just like, I think uh, children should be able to engage in shooting sports, but like, I think children should be routinely carrying handguns on their person.
4: Yeah. Um, Because what if a bushy guy shows
3: up? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That is out of its damn mind.
4: (laughs) Um, just, oh man, a bushy man could strike at any point. Yeah, any you never
3: child. know when a bushy dude's going to come in. You got to be, you have to always have a Derringer in your five-year-old's
4: it, it, pocket. It's the 70s. Maybe he's talking about like a Tom, Se- like a like a lot of chest hair type yeah, guy, like you a, know, like, like yeah, a disco you, stew shows yeah, up.
3: Yeah, a bunch of disco guys come out and start threatening children. <laughs> um. So anyway, back to the point. Under Harlan and his successors, the NRA acted repeatedly to defend the rights of gun manufacturers to build dangerously shoddy firearms. Like Mm -hmm. this is, we talk a lot about, rightly so, the things they do like legislatively to defend the gun industry, but this is often left out because one of the things is its primary victim is gun owners, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to quote here from a write-up in Bloomberg. In 1972, Congress created the Consumer Product Safety Commission. Four years earlier, Lyndon B. Johnson had signed the Omnibus Crime Control and Safe Streets Act, which regulated several aspects of firearm sales, and advocates of gun control hoped to give this agency oversight of defective weapons. Representative John Dingell, a a Democrat from Michigan and a hunter with an A-plus rating from the ascendant NRA, blocked them. In 1975, he did it again when a colleague introduced a bill making a second run at giving the CPSC firearms authority. We put in there an express prohibition against their getting, them getting their nose into the business of regulating firearms and ammunition, Dinkel said in debate in Congress. That second bill was crushed, 339 to 80, and the issue has never been seriously considered again. And it's mm. one of those, like, this is, again, a perfectly, I, even if you're like a, 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 a gun fundamentalist, you should want there to be oversight of guns that don't work or explode and like ammunition that doesn't work like right right that seems
4: to make that shouldn't be a political issue it seems like you'd be into that yeah and the only explanation for you not being into it is like oh good they can't get the good guns i mean like like poor, poor people black people getting the defective guns seems to be the only excuse here. I mean, well, I mean, their specific excuse is that like this will,
3: this will enable potentially the government to like regulate what kind of ammo is illegal and ban types of like whatever. Right. Um, that's, which that's, they do anyway. Like right. there's that shit happens. Like whatever. It, it's dumb. It's dumb that this happens this way. Um, it is worth noting that, yeah, it's, it's like a blue dog Democrat who is the one who like blocks this shit. Um, So the end result is that when gun manufacturers produce firearms that, for example, fire for no reason and kill their owners, it is impossible for the government to order them to recall those weapons. Not even the BATFE, which supposedly regulates firearms, can force a gun maker to take broken guns off the market. And I'm going to quote again from that Bloomberg article. And this is actually how the article opens. Thomas Bud Brown makes his way out the back door and stops a few steps to the right, raising a trembling arm, pointing at something. It's where he found his boy slumped against the cold back wall of the house around 7.15 a.m. on the last day of 2016, bleeding out. Brown is telling the story now about how he was sitting in his chair in the living room when he heard the shot. His son, Jared, 28, had just picked up Bud's Taurus PT-145 Millennium Pro pistol and headed out to do some shooting near their house in Griffin, Georgia, with his best friend, Tyler Haney. Bud figured Jared had fired at something for the fun of it, like he did sometimes. I was thinking I'd better go out there and tell him to be careful or something, Bud, 54, says, his voice trailing off. But what he'd heard was the pistol going off without anyone pulling the trigger, sending a forty-five caliber slug through Jared's femoral artery. Oh, "Oh, shit, my leg, my leg, Jared yelled, loud enough for his father to hear. Haney, 26, rushed to the house in a panic, pleading for help. When Bud got out there, the pistol was still in its holster, tucked into Jared's waistband. So, And he can't sue. He can't do nothing. Absolutely nothing. Bud is one of, we have no idea how many Americans died due to defective Taurus guns. The company did eventually issue a recall on something like a million weapons that were potentially defective, but they didn't have to run ads anywhere to inform people of the recall. They were not required to reach out to their customers, to reach out to gun stores, to take any action at all, to warn people that they'd sold guns that could fire for no reason. Insane. An unknown mu- number of those weapons are still in people's gun saves, closets and holsters today.
4: That's um, fucking crazy. Just like, yes. I don't even know the justification. It's just guns. Don't kill people. Yeah. It's this fate it's this, again, kills
3: people. The, the, the NRA, they are, there's this like social, like a, uh, 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 culture war component of how they do what they're doing but they fundamentally represent the gun industry in any industry that can right. stop there from being a way to sue them if their products don't right, work. Right, of like,
4: course. D- we'll do it if they can, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just, it's just, it's, yeah. It's so insane to get to a point where it's so clearly a manufacturing lobby yeah. mixed in with a culture war issue that just creates death everywhere. <laughs>
3: yeah it's and it's i mean again for among other things don't buy tourist guns for any practical purpose um yeah, yeah, absolutely. but absolutely uh in the 1990s more than 40 u.s cities filed lawsuits against gun manufacturers spurred on by a surge in violent crime this was the super predator era um now i can't speak as to the legal merits of the individual cases of these cities against these gun manufacturers but the response the nra chose was interesting they used their lobbying arm to launch a campaign that got Senator Larry Craig of Idaho and Representative Cliff Stearns of Florida to propose a piece of legislation that would end all pending litigation against gun companies and prevent any future litigation. It took a while to actually get the law, which is the PLCAA, written, uh, and by the time it was introduced, George W. Bush was on his second term. In October 2005, he signed the PLCAA into law, which blocked lawsuits from seeking damages on gun industry companies for unlawful use of a firearm, right? So if the company could be sued for like breaking the law in some way, Mm -hmm. um, but they cannot be sued for what people do with their weapons. And I have some conflicting feelings on some of these lawsuits, but one Mm -hmm. of the things that people will point out is that the advertising of a lot of these companies, um, like – leads to the like and this is a big thing like the Sandy Hook lawsuit, right? One of the big issues one of the big like points that used to justify like the suing against the Bushmaster who who made right. the gun that was used in Sandy Hook was this um this ad campaign they'd just done where it was like a uh uh consider your man card reissued and they would like send you a man card with an AR fifteen and it's 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 again there's um Again, I, I this is like a complicated thing to get into entirely, but there's a debate to be had, and, and to my mind, the area in which it's kind of most relevant to have this debate is on to what extent is, does the way the gun industry tries to sell weapons to people um, – complicit in when those weapons are used for violence. So, for example, mm-hmm. when Daniel Defense launches an ad where you have, like, a Bible verse and a small child holding an AR-15, mm-hmm. um, to what extent does that help to lead to... To what extent does that help make gun culture in the United States more violent, right? Right. Um, and this is not really what the lawsuits are for, Like, the Uvaldi families aren't suing Daniel Defense, or they, they're attempting to right now. This is all happening at the moment. Yeah. On those lines. But to my mind, that's kind of the most... That's the thing that, like, I think there's a point on. Sure. Um, I mean, it's like,
4: uh, I mean the way cigarettes were marketed changed, you know, uh, were regulated like crazy and has actually had an effect on the amount of smokers.
3: Yeah. And so anyway, again, I I have some complicated thoughts on like suing companies for the unlawful use of their products, but there's like, anyway, the, the PLCIA kind of in ended that for a long time. This is starting to be challenged, but for, for, 15s or 17 years or whatever made any kind of like debate meaningless right because right. it was just uh, prohibited and it was prohibited oh. again this is the nra spent a lot of money on george w bush's campaigns you know right.
4: um, i am wondering if the like mm-hmm. initially the Hitachi magic wand actually was a back massager and if you uh, could sue yeah. sue a company because it gave your wife an orgasm.
3: Well, the, like again, there, I, I think people do need to consider when we talk about like, to what extent should a gun manufacturer be liable for something about a mass shooting? There are some unsettling implications to some of that. Um, right. It's not a super cut. It's not as cut and dry as certain other things are. Yeah. Um, obviously, and I'm not think- saying
4: it's a slippery slope necessarily, but I am saying that I thought it was a back massager. Yeah. And now sure. it's better at making my wife calm than I am. And that always has been. Yeah. And well, Mm -hmm. I mean, it seems kind of unfair to me (laughs) to have not known that.
3: What's really, I mean, people are bringing up, people on Twitter have brought up the fact that like you're limited to six dildos, I think, in the state of Texas. Is that right? Yeah. 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 There's like literal laws on how many, I mean, I don't think they've ever been in. uh, What has been enforced though, is that like anyone, you know, who works at a sex shop in Texas has to be like, has, is like prepared this is a little bit less the case now, but when I had friends in the early 2000s, like you get training on like what to do if you get raided because you're not allowed to sell sex toys. Um, they had they were always called cake toppers, right? Like the dildos and shit were like cake toppers or personal massagers or whatever. Yeah. But you couldn't, like, you couldn't say like these are for fucking in the same way that like you could sell a bong, but you had to call it a, t- a water pipe for tobacco. Like oh. if you use the bong, word bong in a Texas head, again, head shops were always kind of inconsistent about how much they- we're paranoid about this, but like you, you could get asked to leave for calling uh, something a bong in a, in a,
4: right. But I mean, just... what do you, what do you call the, you know, that, you know, that Silicon butt that has both the pussy and the vagina. Uh, the, That's a and, sex and the, ass. That's a sex ass. Yeah. So, yeah. but you, I mean, I'm just saying, how do you market that? So I, you get around I, the, I don't,
3: I don't think they really had sex ass although i know people bought um fucking what do you call them the the fleshlights so there must oh, have yeah. been some like i'm guessing they probably they must have been advertised as like a novelty right it's like a, this yeah. is a, for joking around at a bachelorette party you put it on a, <laughs> like i don't they're, they're like it's dumb all uh, texas's whole legal system is stupid as shit that's insane um, that's a lot of
4: fun though i mean yeah. you know but people get around it like i didn't have access to a big silicon you know uh but vagina and so i fucked a big mouth billy bass yeah know?
3: who didn't fuck a big mouth billy bass yeah I mean, that so was i'm just, just a saying universal experience of people in the early
4: 2000s yeah i'm sorry i just like uh, eventually i i just was like we're going to start talking about cum. we're going to start podcast. talking about
3: cum. look you know the same year that george w bush signs the plcaa into law that's the mm-hmm. year that many millions of young american boys encountered a billy largemouth bass for the first. that's time. right yeah and and thanks to the nra's lobbying the billy bass <laughs> company couldn't be sued for <laughs> taking the virginity of all those boys <laughs> take me to your virginity mm-hmm. all right i'm done all right the last thing i want to talk about here and this is Maybe the most unsettling thing the NRA has done um, is that they have made it impossible not just to like, not only do they fight like any regulation that might potentially impact positively America's gun violence problem or America's gun death problem, they've made it impossible to research how gun violence works and like the extent to which different policies affect it. Um, in 1993, the New England Journal of Medicine published an article that show showing that gun ownership was a risk factor for homicide in the home. Now, this is a study you'll see cited a great deal, and it's often used to argue that hot firearms in the home make people less safe. This study was widely reported on at the time, and it scared the shit out of the NRA. So the NRA campaigned to eliminate the organization that had funded the study, the Please. CDC's National Center for Energy Injury Prevention. Congress included language in the 1996 Omnibus Appropriations Bill to insist that, quote, none of the funds made available for injury prevention and control at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention may be used to advocate or promote gun control. Now, you may note they weren't doing that with that study. It was a study that you could use to argue gun control supported gun control. but It was just a study on like the, the homicide risk and how that changes when you have a gun in the home. Right. Right. Like. the the cdc was not like lobbying specifically they were carrying out a study but the nra basically argued yeah
4: how people get hurt in the
3: home and the nra argued that was inherently like that's political and should be illegal yeah Um, and then they make that happen right yeah like congress goes through with this shit um this is later referred to as the dickey amendment because of some dude named dickey um now Under extensive lobbying pressure, Congress also removed two point six million dollars from the CDC's budget, as that was the amount they had invested in firearm injury research the year before. So they cut all of the money out of the CDC's budget that had been used to research firearm industry. And again, whatever you think about gun control, there are four hundred million of these things in the fucking country. There should be research into how they affect people. Right. It just
4: seems prudent. It seems prudent. Just seems prudent.
3: Yeah, if, if fucking if auto companies were blocking research into how car accidents work, right? Like you would say that's nuts, you know? Yeah, because yeah. it would be. Um,
4: and, and it's not even. It's like it's not even I'm sure that car I companies fault- have tried to do that. But yeah, right. It's yeah. I don't fault them for trying. It's the same way with no, the. You know, that's what the, they're the,
3: going to do. That's right? what they're
4: going to do. They're going to try to do that, and yeah. uh, you know, it's a fucked up capitalist system we're in. Yes. If you have the money, you can try. The crazy thing is. The success rate of the NRA in these in these things that are completely like like again, common sense ideas. There's there's
3: a wide variety of arguments about how should you interpret this this the you know the, the findings to studies like this. To what extent should they inform policy? Um, all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, I think if you're saying you shouldn't be studying this kind of stuff at all, you're the bad guy here. You're definitely (laughs) bad. (laughs) Like, Like, for sure, you're the very
4: least coming in bad Um, faith. But yeah, you are 100 percent doing bad guy stuff. Yeah. And should be stopped. And federal funding for research into gun violence and gun
3: related injuries dried up after that. Uh, Since 1996, the CDC's funding for firearm injury prevention has fallen 96%, and similar attempts to fund research have met with further attacks on the ability to study any of this stuff, most recently in 2012. Um, And yeah, um, so anyway, that's, broadly speaking, the story. Um, Our buddy Neil Knox, I should give you a little bit of context on how our heroes turned out.
4: Yeah, yeah, how are they doing?
3: Neil Knox wound up being way too radical for even Harlan Carter's NRA. He was forced out of the organization in 1982 after being overshadowed by the rise of Wayne LaPierre. I think LaPierre kind of helps maneuver him out. Mm. Uh, He dies of colon cancer in 2005. He outlived Carter by a fair amount. Harlan died, not surprisingly, of lung cancer in 1991. So the mm. tobacco industry did us all a solid on this one. Yay, occasionally um, it works out. <laughs> one of his final acts in this world was to hand over control of the NRA <laughs> to Wayne LaPierre. Aww. Oh, um, shit. That's, the, that's <gasps> the Harlan Carter in the NRA, everybody. God damn. There's a pretty good song about him called Raymond Cassiano uh, by the Drive-By Truckers, which mm. is good. God, um, well,
4: that guy fucking uh, he sucks. It he, sucks he, that he's he sucks that he's dead too. I feel like the one of the big reasons why I'm just like I don't, you know, I'm not for like, hey, let's make guns illegal or whatnot, is because like I feel like guns might end up being very useful in <laughs> uh, stopping so, all these ridiculous, you know, fucking NRA lobbies. You know it, what I'm saying?
3: <laughs> yeah, and this is um, I have I have tried. I think I've done a very good job of like not inserting a bunch of my own specific opinions on gun control because mm-hmm. at the end of the day there is a history of here and it deserves to be like talked about sure um without a tremendous amount of editorializing mm-hmm. but yeah I, I feel similarly like my attitudes on what gun control should be uh around um are impacted by like number one i don't think only rich people should have guns i i right. don't Don't like the idea of a thousand percent excise tax on AR-15 so that only wealthy people can afford them.
4: Right. Um, And I don't like the idea that, like, at this point, at least culturally, the only people who are interested in in having guns are people who are interested in upholding white supremacy. And that is deliberately designed that way. And one of I mean, one of the things that has happened in the last couple of years, this is really accelerated
3: since 2020 is the demographics of people buying firearms have changed wildly particularly mm-hmm. first time gun buyers and it's gotten a lot more left leaning and a lot less white mm-hmm. um and you know there's a, a variety of uh, personally okay because people do ask about this because I talk about guns sometimes in terms of what i think are the number one the laws that you could most easily n- pass without the supreme court guaranteed shutting them down and i think a federal assault weapons ban the supreme court Will rule against, right? Like it mm. will go to the Supreme Court and they will rule against it in their current construction outside of like talking about should we stack the Supreme Court, whatever, like by right, right. not doing that. So, um, stuff that I think would not, number one, would not necessarily, like obviously anything is a crapshoot with the Supreme Court. So, literally anything could get turned down. Yeah. Right? Because they're about to rule on um, a concealed handgun carry bill anyway. But um, the, I think. I think it's perfectly reasonable and is also, there is legal precedent for raising the age at which someone has to be in order to buy a semi-automatic firearm. Mm -hmm. Um, Certainly 18 year olds are not full adults. And our our current gun legislation recognizes that by banning Mm -hmm. them from buying handguns. Although that's also not entirely accurate because you can still buy handguns through like face-to-face sales or have them given to you by a parent or whatever. There's always every, there's always like ways around this kind of stuff. Um, But it is, it's been established since, I think, 1986 that the federal government regulates – does not want people under 21 buying handguns. So mm-hmm. it, it's the kind of thing where if you were to pass a law extending that to semi-automatic rifles – You'd have a stronger argument in front of the Supreme Court if it came to the Supreme Court in order to, like, defend mm-hmm. that piece of gun control legislation. And both of our most recent mass shootings, as of this recording, there may have been another one by yeah, the time yeah, this no, drops, are yeah. um, 18-year-olds who bought a gun and immediately carried So I, I do think just on a moral level, there's a case to be made that, yeah, this might fucking save some lives. And mm-hmm. I think the best thing you could do, you would probably not have to call it a red flag law because that term has been politicized. But a law that would allow you to take guns and stop people from buying guns if they have a history of domestic violence and violence towards women and making violent threats of mass shootings, which mm-hmm. seems like a no-brainer, yeah, again, like everything's been that- politicized to a stupid degree. But the, the Buffalo shooter was on, had been doing like threatening shootings and mm-hmm. threatening women, and like had was on law enforcement's radar. Should have been, it should be possible to do
4: something there, right? You'd figure, and uh, yeah, I feel like that. There's so many like common sense, like laws that uh, you're yeah. that don't yeah. exist, that you're surprised every time you find out yeah. they don't exist. And, I, I, uh, I do think
3: um, I think one of the things where gun control advocates make a mistake is focusing on universal background checks, not because mm-hmm. I don't think that it's a good idea to have background checks for buying a gun but because nearly all of the guns bought and even used in massacres were by people who passed a background check, including the Buffalo and Evaldi shooters. They both mm-hmm. like universal background checks. They, they pass those. So yeah. like that, that's not as much of the solution as I think something like an effective kind of, again, I think you would need a better term than red flag law. Cause right. but also maybe, I don't know the rights going to culture war, whatever you try to do.
4: Um, right. But yeah. I, I, everything's poison pilled, no matter what you can name yeah, so, it, any fucking euphemistic nice yeah, sounding thing the,
3: if you hit your wife and kids you shouldn't have a gun bill but of course one of the issues with that is that you're going to disarm like 40 percent of the police so,
5: right <laughs> <laughs> like
3: I, I can talk about like what i think would be a good idea at the end of the day like i don't yeah. know like what i th- what actually is going to pass that's a totally mm-hmm. different fucking conversation and
4: yeah no um, i don't i don't know what the answer is i know that uh, one thing that i don't think the answer is is um is this like mutually assured destruction thing where we're all armed at all times. And that's the society we live in. Uh, I also know the answer isn't, um, every like liberal and leftist being like, Oh, well I'm, you know, I'm going to trust that the government and the police will keep me safe from the bad men. And so I'm like, it's it's hard to know. It's hard to know yeah. what to do.
3: I mean, w- w- this is a very difficult issue because, again, people, a lot of people say, no, it's simple, just, like, ban the guns. But it's like, well, how are you going to do that? There yeah. is legal precedent. There is a Supreme Court. Yeah. And also, there's a police force that's not going to disarm certain people. Like, this mm-hmm. is not as simple as you're making it out to be. Right. You can say it is the guns. And yeah, of course, access to guns is, like, why a lot of this is happening. But also, like, that doesn't, that's not the end of, of like, the complexity of the issue, because there are 400 million of these fucking things in the country right now. Um, and a whole culture built up around being ready to immediately use them against right now, gay and trans people are particularly in the fucking, um, Mm -hmm. crosshairs. And again, this is like, so I don't know. I, I think fundamentally, like I, I, I argue a lot, um, about gun control with people. I think the folks who want to see more of it are coming from a fundamentally, natural and noble position which is looking at repeating massacres and going like we got to be able to do something about yeah, this." yeah there's, right? like, there's gotta exactly. be something we can do about this shit
4: no i completely um, understand it i mean and yeah, yeah and i feel i feel the same way it's like there's certainly got to be a fucking solution to this that yeah. is um is a systemic a, solution a governmental solution this is like
3: an, ex- a, an acceptable state of affairs
4: yeah um yeah.
3: but like so many of the problems we have like how to fix it and like how to fix it without having a shooting war over it. And like, who does the fixing? And like, um, I, I think like one of the things that is frustrating to me is that like, it is, it is just a big fundraising issue in a lot of ways. And in, in ways that I think are kind of like unhelpful and actually solving the problem. And I, uh, again, nobody knows what to do with this because it's, it's so much like, no one has ever had anything like this happen right people bring yeah. up the the dunblane massacre the port arthur massacre they bring out like you know when australia uh, confiscated all those guns and like that was 200,000 guns yeah. like there are 20 million ar15s in the united states yeah. there has never been a society this heavily armed or a society that has turned the random mass killing of civilians into a meme yeah both of those things have happened here it yeah. happened alongside like the, the militarization of an increasingly unaccountable, violent uh, police force that wants dictatorial control of American cities. Mm-hmm. And all of this stuff is pretty, pretty unique historically. So yeah, I don't know yeah. how we fix it.
4: <laughs> it feels so American and unique that mm-hmm. it, it feels like, uh, yeah, if I knew the answer to it, I would, I would say it, but yeah. I, I really do not. Uh, I mean, and again, it's like one of those, I don't vote,
3: uh, I'm not a gun issue voter, I'm mm-hmm. barely a voter, right? Like, I do vote, <laughs> but I don't believe in it, I don't believe it's, it's all going like- to do any, <laughs> I vote as, I vote as like a, well, what if I'm wrong? If I'm mm-hmm. wrong and it's best to vote and and vote, if, and, and the people who say you gotta vote, if I'm wrong and they're right, then um, at least I... I I put in the vote and I tried that thing. I don't think it's going to work. I don't think they're going to solve any of these problems. I think um, other things are going to be happening in the future that are not what we recognize as part of American politics, but are going to become the way things get decided in this country. And I think they're going to be uglier and weirder than our parents were used to. But I do like... Voting is like a, well, okay, but maybe I'm wrong about that. It's the same reason I have
4: a 401k, right? Right, 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 exactly. <laughs> maybe there
3: will be an economy in 30 yeah, years, so yeah, I'll get to retire, you know? It's the like, same
4: reason I own half of a Bitcoin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm wrong, <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I get it. Yeah. Uh, you got you, just in case. What if I, I'm just not missing half. out. Yeah. I just have a one. It's all I could afford. But yes. the point is, is, yeah, I, I, I just want to say I vote and yeah. I also am cynical. Mm-hmm. And I have the exact same I have the exact same uh pessimism that you do. Yeah. But uh you know, the re- the only optimism that I have is there's going to be some someone smart who does something good.
2: <laughs> One would and I don't want to miss uh, the bus. I don't want to miss,
3: you know. I I mean my and I tend to think we should all maybe if if people are more committed to like Getting out there and taking personal responsibility, not nece- not as a militia, but in a responsibility for ins- believing, I, I think sometimes, because we just had a mass shooting in Portland that was stopped by an armed member of the community, a shooting at a, at a, at a protest for a, 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 a police violence victim mm. um, that was stopped by an armed member of the community. But I think community defense is everyone should have an IFAC, right? Downsides to owning a gun. No downside to having a tourniquet and some gauze on you and mm-hmm. some chest seals and knowing how to use them. Zero downside. Could be yeah. useful in a car accident. You yeah. could have a fucking piece of rebar fall off of a building construction and impale somebody. And maybe you'd get to save their life with an IFAC. Yeah. A million times that could be useful. Have an IFAC, right? Yeah. Um organize in your community to provide houseless people with um, you know, defense against sweeps to provide people who are low income with eviction defense to, to stock food pantries like all of that stuff is uh 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 you can wear uh you can wear cool uniforms if you want while you do. You can get a plate carrier, you can put patches on it, you know? Can I wear um, tactical sunglasses? Fuck I, yeah, why the hell not? Yeah. Be the be the be the be the tactical the, sunglass guy. Yeah whatever make it co- make it cool just help your help your community black panthers look cool as shit when they were like serving food to kids you know yeah they did they had,
4: they had swag you know yeah they wore berets and they made berets yeah. look badass you know yeah look People cool forget. as hell and protect
3: your community and yeah uh yeah
4: anyway. doesn't mean you need to own a gun but maybe uh, a little more community involvement mm-hmm. might be helpful and There's also a variety of things
3: that you can you can do yeah
4: yeah abolishing um the police That is a good idea. Anyway, Matt, got any portables? Oh, man, I've had a great time. Um, And if you love uh, the bastards and getting behind them, you'll love uh, the podcast Pod Yourself a Gun, a Sopranos rewatch podcast uh, that me and my friend Vince Mancini do. Uh, We just finished the entire series, so you can re-listen and re-watch the whole thing. And uh, it's great. You'll love it. And uh, yeah, you look forward to uh, us doing our The Wire podcast very soon. It's going to be great. And, uh, you know, speaking about cops being bastards, it's a whole show about it. So you'll you'll love it. And uh, I promise you that, uh, you know, we're not going to, you know, be it's two white guys talking about The Wire. We're not going to it's you know so just don't worry it's a good mm-hmm. it'll be good you'll mm-hmm. i promise <laughs> i don't know how to say I, that without i'm excited saying, to listen to it we don't uh you know we're leftist anyways i'm excited follow me yep. at mattlieb jokes on instagram follow Matt Lieb home you have a twitter I do it's car. it's it's at Matt Lieb and you can follow me there too that's fine no, but no I feel jokes. Mm-hmm. no jokes on that one oh, that's got it, got it, got deathly it. serious that one um you know I just post whatever today in fact I posted uh something from a doomsday dried food ad that I saw oh, good on, oh, I and, love those and it was really weird it was like a mac versus pc commercial but they made uh, the doomsday, uh, the like, you know, uh, dried food guy, you know, he was talking about his product and then the other guy who was selling the, the fake Patriot food was very <laughs> much uh, an anti-Semitic meme.
5: Oh great! Oh God! Oh Yeah, no. yeah.
4: They made they made him very clearly Ooh. a Jew, and he, he, he it, it opened Rad. with like "Hello, fellow patriots," and I was like, "Holy fuck!" Oh, they went for it, and uh, yeah. So I posted a little bit of that, and uh, uh,
3: you love to see it.
4: You love um, to see just straight know. up anti-semitism uh, yeah. on the on this was an Instagram ad by the way yeah. but uh, hey it, it was on
5: it uh, usually is
3: <laughs> yeah
4: anyways follow me on all the things and, and uh,
3: learn to yeah. can look it's, it's cheaper <laughs> than food buckets yeah. yes.
4: yes learn to can and it yeah.
3: works way better it does work very well
4: yeah
5: Woo-hoo.
1: behind the bastards is a production of cool zone media for more from cool Zone media. Visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com.
1: Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products.
5: Com.